To end our season one, we decided to do some reflections on all the episodes and the guests that we had had the pleasure to have conversations with in the last year. As a reminder, these are the last two episodes before we take a break for season one, and we'll come back in season two at the beginning of November. This is a two-part episode. We had planned to talk about each guest for one minute, but as you know, Alex and I have a hard time not talking forever on subjects that we really are passionate about, so it turned out to be a little bit longer, hence the splitting into two episodes. But you'll see how we kind of go through each episode we've had with guests, and we just highlight what we learned, what we really liked about them, who the guests were, and what they contributed to. Hope you enjoy, and see you back in November. Welcome to Uncover the Human, where every conversation revolves around enhancing all the connections in our lives. Whether that's with our families, co-workers, or even ourselves. When we can be our authentic selves, magic happens. This is Christina Amigoni. And this is Alex Cullimore. Let's dive in. Authenticity means freedom. Authenticity means going with your gut. Authenticity is bringing 100% of yourself. Not just the parts you think people want to see, but all of you. Being authentic means that you have integrity to yourself. It's the way our intuition is whispering something deep-rooted and true. Authenticity is when you truly know yourself. You remember and connect to who you were before others told you who you should be. It's transparency, relatability, no frills, no makeup, just being. Well, hello and welcome back to Uncover the Human. You are here for the final episode of season one. And so this is, honestly, it's crazy. I cannot believe we've already done this for a full year. It's awesome. It is crazy. We wanted to do something a little bit special. We've got so many incredible guests that we got to talk to this year. And so one thing we wanted to do is get a nice quick summary of some of our thoughts, some of our favorite moments and some takeaways from the episodes that we had some of our wonderful guests on. And so we're just going to go through bit by bit and talk about some of our, our, our favorite pieces. And just a huge thank you to everybody who's been involved in this, everybody who wanted to be part of this and all of the conversations we've gotten to have and all of the wonderful connections that we have made, made through this. It has been truly an incredibly fun journey. Yeah, the connections have been just amazing. And thank you so much to everybody. We will tag all of you in this. And <laughs> we will uh, go and uh, please feel free to revisit any of these episodes. They all have a special place in our heart. And it is, it's been so much fun to do. Big thank you to the guests. Big thank you to everybody who's listened. We cannot wait to join you in the second season. But for now, let us cover some of what we got to do this year. Want to kick us off? We can go right into our first guest ever, which was Marty. And I, I mispronounced his name on the episode, and I'm about to mispronounce it again. Marty Noki? Noki? Noki. I'm pretty sure I did that wrong. Yeah, I think you're close. <laughs> Just like the pasta without the G. Right. Noki. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> Marty wanted to talk to us a little bit about amplifying human dignity. And so we talked about that in terms of his journey in life where he was a priest and he got he left the Catholic Church, started to find some of his own values and connections. And he has just an incredible life story, very fun to talk to. And he also talked about how life cycles of institutions and how institutions tends to outlive their original purpose. And then they just became defending themselves more than whatever they were intended to do originally. Great conversation with Marty. Wonderful experience that he brought to the table to understand, you know, from working in the Catholic Church, 
to coming out of that and now reinventing himself and figuring out, you know, what matters and what's, what were the gaps, what's missing, how he can help. And we know for a fact that he's been helping some wonderful people because he's the one that introduced us to Sam more. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think he's also connected. I saw them uh, on LinkedIn a little bit to Mary Beth Highland, who we will also talk oh, about. Oh, yes. But yes. Marty I think is... he attended one of her latest retreats. Oh, great. Well, that's mm-hmm. awesome. It is a, it's truly a fun, this is exactly what I'm talking about. The web we've gotten to be <laughs> attached to and connect to has been really fun. <laughs> but Marty yeah. had some great experience just from his own life and how institutions start to lose track of their own mission. It's a good reminder of what reason are you making your decisions for? And especially as you become, if you're a company or something and you become larger or start to grow, how do you hold core to what you originally wanted to build? And how do you stay in line with that? This is a fascinating conversation. Very much so. Yeah. Our next one was Lauren, Lauren Grau. Lauren Grau. Yes, she was the first coach on the call and on the podcast, and she talked about energy leadership. So with her, we went through all the seven levels of core energy with some great examples and stories of how we show up and what they mean to us and why it matters. Why do we bother to talk about energy and how does it relate to leadership and leading our lives as, as well as leadership in the true sense in the workplace of others how do you recognize it what happens when you have anabolic energy so the more constructive energy and what happens when you have more catabolic energy it's a great tool she, she does a great job of describing it and lauren's just always incredibly friendly i think she's a, she's a really fun energy coach she's done this with groups she's done this with individuals and the thing that always sticks out is like it, it we i think we all feel these things we all kind of notice there's more constructive mindsets and there's more destructive mindsets even if we haven't put all the labels to them and it's such a great scale to, to kind of give yourself a point of where you feel like you are in it as well as where you think somebody else might be and what they might be reacting to and what might help them either move towards more constructive spaces or move towards a safer space so they can process if they're feeling in a, in a more closed off energy or feeling like they can't connect or reach out as much. And it's a great explanation of all seven levels of those. And Lauren does it, it is very fun to talk to just on energy in general. Definitely worth checking out for connecting some hard metrics to what feels like sometimes softer subjects or they like to be called and labeled softer subjects or as we would call them essential subjects. Yeah. That was a very fun conversation. I'm going to say that about all of these. I'm going to stop saying that now because they just, <laughs> just, I'm going to blanket statement these. I had a great time with every one of these conversations, but I need to not say it so much because it's going to sound, yeah. it's going to sound like I'm repeating myself. <laughs> <laughs> we do that a, a few times. Uh, <laughs> yes. We've actually done some group coaching workshops with Lauren on energy leadership. And it's, I'm always amazed at how much attention and how into the information, the attendant, whoever's attending the workshops really gets into. And not only about how this space gets created a vulnerability where one person starts sharing their personal stories and all of a sudden, like everybody's opening up about recognizing their energy levels and how they've shown up in different ways and how it's affecting their relationships at work and at home. So it's definitely a, a very powerful tool. And Lauren does a wonderful job at bringing it together in, for individuals and for groups. Definitely speaks to the importance of being able to label things, not Mm -hmm. because it puts it in a box, but because it gives you a jumping off point to go interact with others, interact with yourself. And that brings us to our next coach that we had, who's Lori McElroy, who we've actually had on multiple times since then, had her on recently for her values exercise. But the first time she came on, she wanted to talk about playing big. And she really talks up the really great examples of how we show up to being our best selves and connect to what she calls playing big, which is one of those phrases, which it's not 
I don't think everybody has always used it, but it's one of those that you can immediately connect to. You immediately know what it means to you because it really plays into that is what I want to do. That's what I've been afraid to do. What is it that's stopping you from playing big, from doing that thing that you particularly feel attached to, but are either worried to try or maybe have a harder time facing? How do you get to that space where you get to do the big thing? And Lori's a great example of playing big. I don't know that Lori is capable of playing small or <laughs> if she has not in the, in the time that I've known her. But she does a wonderful job at really describing, you know, like what's stopping us from doing that and what do we gain when we do get to play big? Because we have one lifetime, at least one conscious one, and depending on whether we believe in reincarnation or not. Oh, and by the way, I want to come back as an elephant if <laughs> you reincarnate. <laughs> Talk about playing big. <laughs> Go in the literal sense. <laughs> yes, yeah, so in the literal sense. You know, but like time, we don't get our time back. And we don't, it's something that, it's an asset that we lose. So why play small? Why not go in all out and, and see what happens? And if you, if you think about other people playing big, it's, that's when we see magic happens. That when That's when things like, you know, electric cars and going to space happen. Or I just read an article, actually, it was super fascinating. Not to get totally sidetracked, but how Steve Jobs had actually thought about, he declared that he was going to. So it wasn't, I want to, maybe if one day this exists, but he was going to build an iPad that connected to the internet. And he declared that in 1987, when the internet didn't exist, iPads didn't exist, laptops <laughs> barely existed, but he had the vision that was playing big. He was like, yep, it's going to happen. I'm going to do it. And he got in his last keynote speech in 2010, he got to present the iPad. Uh, it's tragic that he never went on to attain anything and that nobody knows who Steve Jobs is. Yeah, but, I know. Yeah, exactly. It's a good example. Clear, clearly, playing big <laughs> doesn't work out well. <laughs> oh, and the iPad is made $200 job, billion, dollars, by the way. <laughs> Which is pretty big. You can buy a lot of elephants with that. Yes. <laughs> Lori does a great job of explaining it, and she's just a really fun coach to talk to about how you get into that space. She does a wonderful job of explaining her own journey as well as helping people get to it. And it was really fun to see how she describes that and how we get to playing big and what that means and what might stop us. Our next one was Shante Lamping, who is a personal trainer and yoga instructor. And she really focused on emotional yoga. So how even just physical training, physical exercising, working out, it's not just about the body. Everything is connected. So the real sense of holistic self, when you have, you know, your mindset with your body, with your spiritual alignment, and how it all works together in one. And I really like the thing that always sticks out to me thinking about Shante, I've seen her post things online and on Instagram. And the thing that always, I'm always reminded of from our conversation is her absolute dedication to self-improvement and she does this in such a wonderful holistic way and she describes it on the in the episode about asking yourself well what needs to be happening now what really you know i want to be more fit sure sure maybe i want to do you know she, she does work as a personal trainer she has a lot of people who want to be fit who want to lose weight but what needs to happen day to day to do that there is some amount of building routine there is some amount of building strength there is some amount of challenging yourself but there's also taking care of yourself and not injuring yourself and listening when you know your body says I don't want to do the 500th push-up because my shoulder is going to pop right out of joint and <laughs> but you had a commission for three weeks like she does a great job of explaining why it's important to listen to both those things as you pursue incredible self-improvement and she's very articulate about how 
she goes into self-improvement. It was, it was fun talking to her before we even got to record it and her dedication to that for herself and for everyone else. It's really inspiring just to be, get to be a part of. And that's what I always think about with Shante is the self-improvement portion and how much she can explain what needs to happen and how dedicated she is to doing that for herself and the people she works with. Wonderful conversation. So our next one was Dave Needham and on Ojos, his own platform on rethinking performance management so it doesn't suck because we all hate <laughs> it the way it's done right now. <laughs> and ojos is the from the Spanish word ojos for eyes. Uh, it's, it's spelled the anglicized way. It's O-H-O-S. But that is comes to the idea of visibility in a 360 view. I mean, who should be a leader? Who do you trust? And getting some you know, survey data that turns into hard data that turns into how do we actually guide people through more performance management where it isn't some kind of hierarchy, you just get rated by your manager, and it depends on basically your relationship with that manager. And, you know, is that person even should they be a manager? And he, he does a, a great job of identifying the why we probably don't need our ridiculous hierarchy that we tend to stick to, mm-hmm. and why that ends up being hard to manage and hard to actually get good outcomes, especially when you scale that. I mean, it's hard in a team, if you have a small team and there's some form of hierarchy, it's going to become very apparent that there's some weird feeling of somebody's looking down the chain. But at a higher organization, it can be harder to see those immediate impacts, but everything slows down for it. And he's very passionate about the subject. And it's fun to talk to him about the various ways in which he takes that on both in his consulting roles and in the product that Ojos is. And it's wonderful to see, like, he had a great example of a client who was going to promote somebody based on paper, based on just tenure or whatever the standard ways of promoting people mostly is. And Dave convinced him to use the information and data from OHOS to find out, like, what do the people that are working with these people think? You know, you have a whole team, you have multiple teams of people that are working with your potential promotion candidates. Ask them. Ask the people who actually get to be managed by them who they would promote. And their result from the data was very different from the on-paper choice that was being made. And it turned out to be that the on-paper choice was way more toxic than the CEO even imagined it could possibly be (laughs) (laughs) Uh, once the decision was made to actually go with the data that OHOS provided. And the person that ended up being promoted was way more capable and made way more strides and improvements than anybody could have seen from the top. Because again, the view from the top is very different from the view from the bottom. If we are looking at a normal pyramid, which that's a whole other conversation because we don't believe in pyramids. We believe in constellations. (laughs) That's exactly it. It it comes down to that the view is totally different. And that's why the the term OHOS, as well as the way Dave talks about it, is getting that wider view, finding that perspective that's either from the side, from around, just getting that actual view that you don't have just from the chair that you're in. You can look down, but you won't know what's going on down there unless you actually, unless you actually ask them, you actually have that transparency. <laughs> Hence the constellations, you have a lot of interrelated pieces and how do they help each other form something larger. So that brings us to uh, our next guest, which is Angela Hayroth. 
Angela, so all of these conversations up to this point are really fun. There's a lot of really good explanations of things that we kind of know about, but the a lot of our guests do a great job of elaborating on these and giving a lot of language around them. What I really loved about Angela's conversation is she made me personally rethink the entire idea of gig work and fractional work. And she does a great job. She wanted to talk about blending that strategy a little bit. She's very passionate about talent, talent life cycle, and blending, you know, how many do you have a lot of full-time people? Do you have people who are contractors? And taking some of the stigma away of, from the words like contractor or making them feel like they're not part of the team. All of this work is you know, just as valuable and it's more valuable to the company to have the flexibility that the gig economy can offer and that fractional and contractor and freelancers can offer. And she has a wonderful company where she orchestrates this and helps people define what you're going to need, how you're going to approach your talent, both from a hiring perspective, as well as how will this fit your overall company's goals? I One of my biggest takeaways from the many things that Angela provided on the podcast and then off the podcast through social media and her posts on LinkedIn is this concept of people experience instead of employee experience. Because most companies do have contractors, part-timers, full-timers, consultants, fractionals. And so when you're thinking about the group of people that is actually helping your company reach their goals and their outcomes... They're not just the employees and using employee experience does exclude everybody else. So people experience, you then have, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out in this web of things, how does communication happen? How does onboarding happen? How does learning and development happen? From the point of view of every side person and people and group of people that maybe have a different experience. Maybe you don't want contractors to have all the access that employees do because of privacy and security reasons. That's fine. Nobody's asking for that. However, it is good to be recognized as part of creating whatever is being created. Because, you know, let's be honest, without the contractors, you wouldn't be able to create it. Without the consultants, it wouldn't be created. So everybody is just, just uniquely important in their role. And how do you connect to all those roles and always think about all the roles, possible roles that you need? Yeah, that's perfect. So after Angela, we got to talk to Uma Gopal Das, who's now one of our closest friends, actually, on making DEI work, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And she's quite the expert in that. Yeah, she has worked all over the world. She's got a wealth of experience in all kinds of industries that are very specific. So she's done stuff in gold mining. She's done stuff with big oil. She's traveled and worked all over the world. And she's worked in massive organizations and small organizations. And now she's doing board consulting work. And she's on a lot of boards and does a lot of the high level strategy. She even came and helped us with a bunch of strategy work just recently. And she's got a great way of seeing the high level and finding the discrete actions that help you get there. And she talks a lot about okay, why do all the initiatives and diversity initiatives, why are they so easy to fail? And why is it hard to get them to stick? And she talks about how diversity, equity, inclusion becomes really a mindset game. You, you need to change the mindset that led you to a non-diverse workspace in the first place. It's a fascinating conversation. It is super fascinating. And I love the fact that she makes it practical, just like in her governance and board governance and strategy. And, and it's really the fact that it's not enough to hire a leader in a DEI role. It's not enough to say that, you know, you're diverse and equal and you promote inclusion on websites or on social media. <laughs> it's actually about the actions. So from an action perspective, on a daily and day-to-day -day action, do people understand what it's like, what, what it means 
to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. Is a leadership full of, no offense, Alex, white men (laughs) that are saying, we promote diversity. And I'm like, so why is it that you're all stormtroopers? You all look like each other. (laughs) Where's the diversity (laughs) around you? You can't have diversity just in your words and you can't have diversity just in, you know, your consultant levels or your business analyst level or whatever your lower levels of the individual contributors are. If you actually believe in diversity, equity, inclusion, then it needs to be reflected in your board, in your leadership, in your executives, in the way you speak to people, in evaluating just as many women candidates as you do male candidates, just as many color candidates as you do white candidates. Like it can't just be this very selective, well, yeah, we believe in it and there's nothing to show for it. I think if we mentioned as well, like I think in the conversation she talks about, you know, sometimes they'll hire one person who's in charge of diversity yes. somehow, and then you know an initiative won't work out. And it, it is funny in retrospect that they let these people go or they get frustrated because they aren't really being given any power to change anything or any traction. And it's if they walk out the door at that point, it's basically just them being like, or the organization's like, man, I really I'm blown away that they couldn't change our minds. <laughs> Okay. Well, was that really a realistic expectation? Like, I'm blown away they couldn't change all of our preconceived notions that led us to this yeah. in the first place. <laughs> all of the actions that we take based on our preconceived notions. We hired somebody. To, why couldn't they just fix everything? It's like hiring a therapist and then never talking to them. You know, you just yeah. take, so fix me, right? You, this is your yeah. job. You, yeah. I'll, I'll be better in a week. I'll come back to pick up my, my repaired yeah. brain later. <laughs> yeah. my, my, mind reading, mind controlling, whatever they're expecting out of the therapist. Oh, and then, you know, and then saying like, well, see, therapy doesn't really work. It doesn't matter. Nothing changed. Yeah. So well, I'm never going to work on diversity again. The work? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the importance of listening in the DAI space. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. After that, we had Emer, Emer Zone, another coach contact, and she talked about imposter syndrome, which we all experience many times a day sometimes. I always enjoy all of our conversations with Emer for what she, she did sales. She was a lawyer. She's now a coach, and she's just so quick and articulate and so very good at describing exactly what is happening in what is you know a convoluted space like imposter syndrome and she actually just released a course actually this isn't as much on imposter syndrome but she just released a course called the elegant no which is a wonderful course we got to even review to take ourselves and it's about being able to set boundaries and finding a great framework for doing it and it's another good example of her ability to break these complex ideas into very actionable items and so she talked about imposter syndrome and what holds us back and how it in the end is us always in our own way the most painful and helpful realization of all that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, I love how you described all her, how she brings all of her experience into what she's doing. Yeah, she's one of my coaches. I can definitely relate with it. Like she doesn't really let you get away with anything. So she's a great <laughs> accountability partner. Because if my if my own voice is trying to convince me otherwise, the email will definitely call it out. <laughs> That brings us to our next guest, who was Gail Montgomery, who we've worked with on many occasions. Gail's a good friend, and just she wanted to talk about connecting and creating great teams. And Gail comes from an improv background. She's really good at the overall getting people to work together on that almost almost subconscious level where you get those interactions and improv is so much about that group connection. And she does a great job of breaking that into 
ways you bring that to a team, how you make a team that works well together. She's got great sports metaphors, which I think we talked about the whole time, despite the fact that none of us, I think, accurately used a lot of the sports (laughs) metaphors, but they were still easy to connect to. She's just always hilarious to talk to and fun to be around. And it was really fun to have this episode with her. Yeah, super fun. One of the things that I always remember from Gail is just the concept of practice. And especially using the sports team metaphor, you know, sports teams practice all the time for hours and weeks and months before even the first game. And yet we expect work teams to just somehow show up and win the tournament, never talk to each other, never seen each other, have no common language, (laughs) have a a list of tasks that you break down in pieces and somehow that makes everything work out and here's your trophy. You may get a trophy, it's just not quite the trophy that you expected (laughs) at the end. (laughs) So yes, the importance of practicing as teams, the importance of really treating work teams like you treat sports teams. You go to boot camp, you get to know each other, you have the conversations, you understand the language, you practice the language, you win together and you lose together. There's no such thing as one individual wins with the the rest of the team loses. I think that's probably more from Ted Lasso than Gail, but I'm sure that Gail, (laughs) Ted Lasso probably stole it from Gail. (laughs) Oh, she does a great job of that practice element is incredibly important. Definitely is, yeah. And then we had Lori McElroy back on for mm-hmm. the second time, two out of three, on hijacking fear responses. So how do we actually, what do we do when we have that threat response that the first response our brain actually detects any information that comes through that looks into fight or flight? Do we, do we run? Do we freeze? Do we fight? What's going on here? And that's, she does a great way, again, of describing the base level of things that are happening here. She talks about that, that feeling we've all had where suddenly we're like flying off the handle and we, have, we haven't even recognized it. We're, you know, it takes us a couple minutes almost to catch up to ourselves as we feel upset by something. And that a feeling of it, it comes from right from the amygdala. The amygdala gets hijacked. You're suddenly in fight or flight. Usually, you know, thankfully in the modern day around something that doesn't require fight or flight. Uh, we're not actually facing a saber-toothed tiger, but we still have the same reactions. And so how do you mitigate that? She has some really good quick tips on things like using multitasking to your advantage. Like we can't all multi- we can't multitask at all, no matter what we think. So if you're suddenly down a path you don't want to be on, you can distract yourself by doing things like counting objects in a room, seeing what what's the first red thing I see, what's the first whatever. Something that immediately takes you out of that moment where you have so quickly attached to emotion or, and you're now on that train rather than making more responsive choices and deciding how you want to react to whatever's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I love the conversation with Lori because we always, you know, the pausing, she talks about the pausing and how it's important. And yes, we are going to have the fight or flight response. We just don't need to actually do anything about it unless we are running away from something, <laughs> from a danger. We can choose. Yeah. And that brings us to our next coach guest, Steve Evers. So Steve Evers runs Healthy Outdoors, which is a coaching service that which you get to do outdoor retreats in Moab, which is where he lives. And so it's obviously an absolutely beautiful place to do a retreat and to be able to connect more with nature. And Steve does a just phenomenal job of talking about what nature has meant to him in his life and then connecting to that to how this helps all of us. Yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful conversation with Steve and can't wait to go on one of his retreats. He's just blending of nature and spirituality and personal development. 
and how it is really all connected. I mean, we've all felt it when we go to na- we go into nature, whether it's a walk, a hike, skiing, any type of natural, you know, walking on the beach by the ocean, we do feel a bigger sense of the universe, first of all. So our problems become much smaller and also some connectedness to something that's natural within us and to be able to pause from the rat race and all the chaos around us and just just be, figure out what it is that being should look like. He also explained a lot about how nature can kind of put us into a mindful state because we have to be very present and ready to react and ready to be there in the moment and well as thinking about things that are way outside of the norm. You change that scenery, something your brain has to interact with things differently and you can get yourself out of that rut and the feeling of just something that isn't changing. And this is a great conversation on exactly why, A, we weren't born in houses. We are, our whole species was much more, you know, hunter-gatherer for a long time there. We all have the indoors now and that's great. There's a lot of comfort to it, but there's some real true power to connecting back with nature. So true. And then we get to talk to my husband, Jeff Carson, <laughs> on his life as an author of <laughs> mystery fiction books. I thought it was fun talking to, uh, we, we think of authors as like Walden Pond, right now going off into like nowhere and writing alone and then coming back with a masterpiece. And he talked about the power of using collaboration. Mm-hmm. Christina, you've, you've been, I think, a key collaborator. <laughs> one of the first ones every time when there's a draft, when there's something to read, when there's a plot hole, when there's something he wants to talk through and the power of doing something that we kind of societally feel is this weird isolated career where it can totally take off in a more collaborative sense. And then we talked a lot about the business of writing because it was just very interesting to talk to Jeff about how that all started. He's a best-selling self-published author. It's great. Yeah, it's been a very fascinating journey to to watch happen. It's interesting how, especially when it's somebody else, it's just as simple as like, you hate your job, great, quit. What do you want to do? I want to write books, then write books. It's that simple. (laughs) (laughs) But <laughs> uh, it's that simple of a permission. And yes. so once we give ourselves permission to just do what really we love to do and try it out, it works out beautifully. And I liked that Jeff was very honest about just like the, some of the like the pressure that I immediately created. He's like, mm-hmm. okay, I just quit this. I have to write this book now. And I'm yeah. wanting to write that. And then the, the difficulties of it's a creative space. You, you're putting your, your life into this work and it feels hard to have criticisms of that or feel like it might not be as good as you want it to be. Uh, it really talks about going through those initial struggles and going through building the large library of books that he's now written. It's uh, it's a cool journey to watch and he's very honest about it. It doesn't come across with uh, you're trying to say it was all sunshine and, and rainbows the whole oh, time. No. It's, it's very real. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like by easy is the taking the permission to follow the dream. It's easier than we think it is. What happens after that? It's really hard. Once you've actually <laughs> decided to, that you have permission to do it, it's extremely hard. 14 books in i think we're on the 15th now it doesn't really get easier (laughs) we should create a a different 12-step process where the first step is admitting you have a dream (laughs) yes i have a dream i give (laughs) myself permission to to follow it and now what do i do (laughs) uh we'll write up the 12 we'll we'll create an infographic or something on that the 12 the 12 steps of having a dream So from there, we got to talk to another guy who became a close friend um, over the course of the year since we got to talk to him, Sean Daly. And he wanted to talk to us about servant leadership. And Sean is 
honestly one of the most genuine people I think I've ever gotten to talk to. The first time I talked to him was cold in a Zoom call. I think you you ended up busy on something, Christina, and you'd already talked to him once and I hadn't talked to him then and I got to talk to him and we talked for about an hour and a half. I just set up a second call because I had to leave for something, but I was like, okay, well, I don't, I don't have anything I need to talk to you with, but I'd love to talk more. And so I just, we just kept kept communicating and he's had this interesting career in doing coaching and sport he's like a real life ted lasso who then became a professor (laughs) so that's how sean comes across (laughs) now that i've talked about sean what do we actually talk with him about on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) well we talked we did talk about his journey quite a bit and how he learned about servant leadership and what it actually means and one of the biggest lessons was how you you know being a servant leader means taking care of others and making the best out of creating situations where others can flourish and grow and find their best selves rather than the command and control of whatever the opposite that is when you know even if it's if you can't make it in the first season you're out that you're off the team i'm like that's not servant leadership servant leadership <laughs> is believing in someone so much that you bet on their future success and you bet on making that future success possible. And it, it's really that I read a quote recently that I loved from uh, Dame Ramsey that said, the only type of le- real leadership is servant leadership. Everything else, you're just the boss. <laughs> and even uh, Sean talks about that. He comes from the world of like college sports where there could be a lot more ego. It could be a lot more like fighting back and forth. But he talks about how leadership is about putting more tools in your toolbox and servant leadership is the one that he always goes back to as this foundation. Like, yeah, you can you can apply a lot of different leadership techniques. You can learn a lot of different ones. But ultimately, in his opinion, and definitely in our experience, servant leadership is the basis. And I do like that quote of like, you're either a servant leader or you're a boss. Yeah. yeah. It means you're there to help others and others come first. Or you're not doing your job. Yeah. It's not about your title. It's not about your authority. It's not about your promotion. It's not about your bonus. It's not about taking credit. It's about giving credit to others. And making sure they can do what needs to be done. And exactly. it's, a, it's a very unique skill set. It's not bad to be, uh, it's, it's never bad to also be contributing to the team, to be on the team. But if you want to be a leader, it has to come from that place of wanting to help people, not wanting to have the title or wanting to be able to boss mm-hmm. people around because it's, you won't deliver the results you're looking for. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you just mentioned, it's not about focusing on the results. It's about focusing on the people. Mm-hmm. So that the people can get you the results. Yeah. So it's not the tasks, it's not the results, it's not the outcomes, it's not the the monthly and quarterly sales projections. It's focus on the people. It's the Richard Branson way of thinking. If you take care of your people, they'll take care of your customers and they'll take care of your company. But if right. you don't take care of your people, it's just short-term success. Any success you have, it's very short-lived, especially in 2021 when things have accelerated towards needing to be more human and people-focused. 100%. And that is exactly it. It is the you, you will get those bottom line returns, you can get those sales numbers back, but it starts with that original investment. And that's where you you start to play a much larger game. And Sean does a great job of explaining a larger game and how he approaches it life that way as well. And after Sean, we actually had one of Sean's friends and a very good friend of mine, Nina Cashman. So Nina was one of my very good friends, one of my first friends in Colorado, that also turned into a coach of mine and also turned into my lead trainer when I went through my coaching program. So she talked about paving your way, which is really going through the work of 
creating your own career, creating your own path, and how you need to have the courage to go through that transition and know the steps of the transition and not just kind of look around and ask for people's opinions. You can ask for people's opinions, but ultimately you have to do the work. So then what does it mean to do the work? And that's what Nina explains extremely well. I think we got really absorbed in the metaphor of like being in a hallway, like you're going through a transition and, and going from two rooms. And so much of life is really spent in those kind of hallway moments where you're moving towards something, you know, maybe away from something else and, and moving on. And she does a great job of explaining like how we can either get stuck there, we might take a different turn, but how do we really purposefully move ourselves through these? And she provides great transition coaching. Now she talks about how to get through those moments of changing something in your life. Love Nina. Yeah. That brings us to Jesus Salazar. Jesus Salazar, yeah. He's actually somebody I worked with right out of college. And Jesus left the, we were both consulting at the time, and he left and started his own business called Persano, which is a social impact business. And the whole point of starting it was to start with the UN SDGs, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and see what he could do as a for-profit company to create movement and move the needle in these huge sustainable goals for the entire globe. And so he's working on creating the model for for-profit businesses creating social impact. And it was incredibly fun to talk to him. They're very data-driven. They like build, you know, figuring out what their impact is, how to maximize that, how to do better than some of the like nonprofit models that have existed before, and how they're really trying to hone what is the the role of a for-profit business that wants to do good? That's the main goal is we're going to do good. It's not even B Corp. It's just we're going to work on things like the sustainable development goals. Yeah, it was a wonderful conversation and really eye-opening on how when you have a passion, when you know something needs to be done, you just keep going at it. You don't give up. You know, like you get you have the ups and downs, you have the good years, you have the bad years, you know, you do a lot of pro bono work to just be out there and really walk the talk. So if you're building a, a social impact business, then doing social impact, even when it's pro bono, it has to be part of the DNA. And he talks about, you know, one of our favorite things about leadership, successful leadership is transparency and how he's, you know, surrounded himself with a team of people that know exactly what's going on with the company. There are no secrets. He is very open as a CEO about what's going on financially, what's going on project-wise, what's happening with the company. And that has created this ecosystem of the true constellation where every stars comes to shine together in the, in the moments that the company is struggling. That, that was a big turnaround as well. It was like when the company was going through a tough moment, he didn't have to convince people to stick around and help. They had the solution. They made it all happen. As a great example of uh, what we've talked about, about like being able to connect the the mission, like people will work on a mission and people do want that purpose. They want that mission. And it, yeah, it was exactly that pivot point where things felt like they were low, like COVID hit. It was a delicate moment for his business and they ended up turning around their best year yet. Incredible work on transparency as well as sustainability. And he really drove home and we even mentioned it, I think, explicitly in the episode, we talk about how oftentimes people see this as almost in opposition to capitalism, as we as we like to call it in the news and the media of supposed to be like all for wealth gain. But this is a, just a different way of voting as a consumer. This is still very much free market, very much capitalism. It just has other goals because it's seen as 
important enough that it's not that the money will still come. You still want to build the business. You still want to have everybody have jobs, pay for their lives. You're just basically, he called it voting, voting with your dollar differently. You're, you're choosing how you want to make an impact. And that was, I think, a fun, fun aspect of it too. That very much so. And now we get to talk to Tony Gamble. He was our first LinkedIn connection. Well, I know Marty was LinkedIn connection on our podcast. And we talked about practicing self-leadership and especially his new book that came out right around when the podcast came out in May on getting it right when it matters most, which is all about self-leadership. If we can't lead ourselves first, we definitely cannot lead others. And Tony came up with a whole model for it, the SOAR model to S-O-A-R to go have some self-reflection and get back into a full cycle of self-leadership. And I think that was a wonderful topic because it's something we talk about in like personal development and in coaching. You have to kind of sort out a lot of your own motivations and how you interact best if you want to be able to deliver that for other people. It's a great framework for building that for yourself. And it's a really good underline for how important it is to do self-leadership first and how that becomes the leadership that you want it to be. Anyway, you want to be a leader. You want to do these, you know, you want to help the team move forward. You want to be spearheading and pushing for something new. It starts from within and he's got a great framework for explaining it. And he has uh, a whole book on it. I believe it's, uh, what, what is the book called? It's called Self-Leadership, Getting It Right When It Matters Most. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Getting It Right When It Matters Most. Uh, I don't remember the bottom line, the Getting it right when it matters most, uh, I think the guide to self-leadership, something similar, yeah. but it's getting it right when it matters most yeah. by Tony Gamble. And then we welcomed Rebecca and Trent, which were your <laughs> contacts and really Other people. <laughs> so I, I've come from a, a very varied background on a number of things, but this was probably one of my most out there and fun jobs to do, which was the interactive theater project, which I worked for in college, which we did uh, social justice theater and Rebecca and Trent ran that and they are great facilitators for interactive conversations on social justice topics. And so there's we talk about how important it is to practice all of these very difficult conversations we deal with that we dealt with things like race and gender issues and all anything that you can think of that is a difficult conversation that has a huge impact if you can do it right and a huge impact if you do it wrong, just not the one you want. And how important and it is to practice that both for the practice of learning. Okay, I'm not going to necessarily do everything right, but I want to, as Brene Brown says, I'm not here to be right. I want to get it right. I'm not here with the answer. I want to find the answer. And so they talked a lot about the practice of getting into that and how their work in this space has evolved over the last couple of decades. And there's some of my favorite people just to talk to in general. And they were so fun to work with uh, in college. And since then, I've gotten to work with them a few times and always very fun. And I love the work that they do. It's so fun to engage. I've said fun way too many times, but I truly mean <laughs> every word of it. It was so engaging to be part of these conversations and get to challenge my own perceptions. And I had so little understanding of privilege before I started this work with them. And that has changed the course of my life ever since the decades since then have been utterly different. Yeah, it was a truly eye opening conversation. And just to meet them and understand what they're doing and saying, you know, same, same level, like this working with them is something everybody should be doing to really understand privilege to understand with diversity, inclusion, belonging and justice uh, i remember trent talking yeah. about jedi really means and how do we do the work and it's not about being perfect it's about doing the work 
and they have some good workshops now on diversity, equity, inclusion, or uh, the way they phrase it, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Yeah. So you can turn the Jedi on it. They, so they have a few workshops on that now. And it's just, it's incredible work. And it's so fun to do and so much more interactive. You you understand more of what this feels like in the moment and what you how you will deliver it later in life when you get to actually experience it live. Then we kicked off the summer with uh, Mirko from Sicily. So there's the beginning of June. Yes. On developing conscious leadership. Mirko is a wonderful connection who has traveled the world. He's lived in uh, in London and has worked in Asia and Australia. Deep marketing experience that started his own company on coach salting, which is a wonderful combination of coaching and consulting. And really, you know, with the mission to develop conscious leadership, to so develop leaders who are conscious with about their actions, they're conscious about the people around them, and have that human first component of that's how I make decisions, that's how I see things from a human and empathy and service perspective. His company is called the Mastery Hub, and they talk about developing conscious leadership. And that that conscious leadership idea he takes into all kinds of different aspects of life. It might be work, it might be parenting, it might be just your interpersonal relationships. But one of the things I loved about Mirko is that his whole purpose is to have a larger impact on people. And he wants to see a world in which we don't measure based on uh, the amount of wealth that is accrued, but the number of people you've positively impacted. And he definitely lives that one out. And I'm very jealous of his overall uh, arrangement just being in Sicily because you always talk about how he's going to go walk down to the beach now and have some wine and walk through his olive trees. And very jealous, but also just a wonderful mission and very fun to talk to, very eloquent about uh, some of his hardships and how he uses vulnerability and encourages that everyone else to use it to develop your own conscious style of interacting with people and leading. Yeah, really good conversation. And loved hearing about the orange trees in his backyard. Orange trees, that's right. And that brings us to another connection which we've connected with many, many more times since then, Barbara Randall, who just mm-hmm. fascinating human being, very fun to talk to, really oriented around how to make relationships work. And she does this with her company, Fig Jam, mm-hmm. which has a wonderful story, which I will leave for the podcast episode yeah. because it's just truly entertaining. And we mention it every time we talk to her now. It's uh, something definitely a worthwhile acronym and describes well what, what Barbara does. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy always talking with her. Yes, I actually go around and whenever I find a fig jam jar, I take a picture and send it to her. She's a wonderful individual and she's here local to Denver, Colorado. So I think before before we even recorded the podcast, we went on a happy hour with her. <laughs> um, because she does value human relationships and she understands the, the true work that it takes to stay in touch and stay connected and create trusting relationships. And that involves post-pandemic with vaccines and masks when needed, getting together. And so we've gotten together with her already three or four times and we don't plan to really stop. We've got the next (laughs) one already scheduled. And she talks a lot about how people interact and that's what she works with. She's like a, I would say relationship consultant, but that makes it sound like it's just marriages or something. Mm -hmm. What she really does is she orchestrates and helps people understand how they best work with each other, how they might be showing up and how they can choose to show up differently. And she does this in all kinds of different contexts. She has wonderful stories from all of her experiences that led her to the point of starting this company. And it's, I'm, I'm pretty jealous of the work she gets to do. Honestly, it sounds very fun just to get in there and really 
really talk with people, really get to the core of like, how can we better interact both either within a company, within, I think she's done like HOA boards and stuff. She's done lots of different work in lots of different areas because everything comes down to human relationships. And she's really got a great way of describing how to improve those and how to work well with yourself and with others. Yeah, wonderful individual. We then got to talk to Alison Torpy, who I have known for quite a bit now, a couple of years since she moved to Denver. And she talked about leading with trust. So really how to build trustworthy, trustful, if that's a word, teams, and how that's necessary for success in teams. And what does it mean to lead with trust, to be that type of leader that starts with, I need to create trust in this situation. I need to trust the people I'm working with, and they need to trust me for us to be able to really get anything done. Mm -hmm. She does a great job of describing the ways that she does that too, like with new people, with people she's already worked with, with how she's she's a leader at a uh, big consulting company. It's not an easy task. There's always changing teams. There's always changing priorities. Everything's moving very fast. And she talks about how important it is to have that baseline foundation of trust and the ways that she keeps that going over time, as well as initiates that when you have new people coming in. It was a very interesting conversation and something very near and dear to what we talk about, just having the trust to be a great foundation for any team, any project, anything you want to accomplish. Wonderful contact and connection. And I'm sure we'll be having happy hour with her sometime soon as well. Thank you so much for the guests up to this point. We have so many more to cover. We can't wait to get back into it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Uncover the Human, a Siamo podcast. Special thanks to our podcast operations wizard, Jake Lara, and our score creator, Rachel Sherwood. If you have enjoyed this episode, please share, review, and subscribe. You can find our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love to hear from you with feedback, topic ideas, or questions. You can reach us at podcast at wearesiamo.com or at our website, wearesiamo.com, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. We Are Siamo is spelled W-E-A-R-E-S-I-A-M-O. Until next time, listen to yourself, listen to others, and always uncover the human.